Good morning. I'm Lauren Anders Brown, an independent documentary filmmaker. Being behind the camera in over 40 countries has resulted in hours, days, terabytes of footage. So much of what happens to make a good shoot possible ends up on the metaphorical cutting room floor. Most of my editing used to take place in planes, trains, or whatever available coffee shop had a decent filter single origin coffee and always using the hashtag today's office. Now I'm picking up the scraps, reviewing old interviews, and scrolling through my social media to give you a behind the scenes look at what it is like to travel, produce, film, direct, record, alone, as my own correspondent. I want to acknowledge that today's episode is being recorded on Blackout Tuesday, immediately following protests and demonstrations held one week after a black, unarmed man named George Floyd was killed by police in the United States. Since then, people around the world have been showing acts of solidarity that black lives matter, with a focus on an inward look by those who are not black, how saying all lives matter is not enough, how saying I am not racist is not enough, or how typing 180 characters or posting a meme is not enough. I've thought and said a lot of those things I just mentioned in the past, and racism continues, so clearly it's not enough. But what is enough? I know right now that question has been overwhelming me. I want to do enough, but at the moment I am unable to make the impact I want outside these four walls due to coronavirus. How can I do it when as a white woman, I have never experienced racism. Yes, I've experienced sexism, but they are not the same. How do we relate to a human condition we will never fully experience in our lifetime? Now that is something I can do. That is my job, to amplify voices, make them relatable to people who would otherwise ignore them. So today's episode is going to explore just that. A human condition 50% of the world will never fully experience in their lifetime, which also perpetuates discrimination simply through lack of understanding and support. I'm on the ground in Africa and Malawi, a country that is known for its wildlife, its beautiful lake, and even for its high quality Arabica coffee before anyone thinks of Malawi being host to one of the most overpopulated refugee camps in the world. The word Zaleka is a Chichua word, the local language of Malawi. It means, I will never try again. In the past, it was the worst prison in Malawi and was since converted into a refugee camp with the capacity for 10,000 people. Today, over 40,000 people live in Zaleka refugee camp. My work in Malawi was to shoot a film with a woman named Nancy Durrell McKenna, who runs an organization called Safe Hands. We were there to make a film about menstrual cups and overall about menstruation in Zaleka refugee camp. After an overnight flight where I had to struggle to get a seat due to an overbooking, Nancy and I stepped off the plane and onto the tarmac 
under the bright sunshine, looking directly at a very simple two-story concrete building, where she effortlessly pointed out the woman who'd be meeting us to work with us during the week. Her name was Janie Hampton. I couldn't tell if it was my blurry vision or the bright sun or the overnight economy flight, but I was missing how Nancy could point out Janie from so far away. Apparently, it was the short, blue pixie-cut hair that gave her away. Janie had done so much work leading up to our arrival, I thought it would be not much more work than the case of pointing the cameras and pressing record. But it was a lot more than that. Aside from our emails to and fro, much of our preparations for filming were made around the Honest Bar at the guest house. One might think the name would elicit some intense, deep conversations that would make for perfect pre-production planning. But actually, an Honest Bar is a fully stocked bar with a notepad where you put your name and honestly write what you've had to drink. The next day, we set out early in the morning driving past the flowering purple jacarandas that lined the streets of Lilongwe to go to Zaleka. Unlike the military checkpoint-style security at Azrak or Zatari, or even the roadside table with a string across the road in Cox's Bazaar in Bangladesh, Janie drove us right into the camp with no questions asked, leaving little time to recall our honest conversations from the night before. So we began where we felt it best to collect ourselves, in the market. One of my favorite places to observe real life in a refugee camp is in the markets. All the camps have them, and they sell everything from food to fabric to electronics and other essentials. Markets are a great display of life within the camp, and when appropriate, a casual way to meet contributors. Janie was checking out some Croc-style shoes, while Nancy and I were fascinated by one of the few female vendors. Her name was Alfonso, and she was selling the perfect cure for the Honest Bar. Some chips, or fries, if you want to call them that, that she made fresh to order. All three of us agreed to take an order that was the size of our heads, more than any of us could stomach at 9 a.m. Despite the savory look of the chips, we were actually more interested in Alfonso's story which she shared with us after cooking our orders. We wanted to hear more, but we had to leave the lively market to meet some of the directors of the camp. With our approvals in place, we were then able to begin filming in and around the health center. All we needed was a woman willing to be interviewed, or at least that's what I thought and assumed. Nancy was the director of this project, so I was taking our lead from her, and our first interview turned out not to be a woman, but a man. Okay. <clears throat> oh, wait. Just one second. <laughs> okay, let's start. Them. Who are you? Uh, my name is Menes, Menes La Plume. I'm a poet and musician, and um, I'm a refugee living at Zaleka for 10 years now. And I'm originally from the, the Democratic Republic of Congo, or DRC. What kind of music do you do? Mm, I do hip hop, rap, and yeah, mixing with some other kind of music from my home country. So it's kind of a mixture. Yeah. A very personal question: You did you grow up in a home with a mother and with sisters, aunties, other women about? 
Yes, I grew up uh, in a house with my mother, with uh, sisters, and also with a lot of cousins, uh, female cousins, actually, yeah. Were you aware, as a boy, mm -hmm. that they had periods, that they had a monthly menstruation? Um, to be honest, in, uh, in my culture, we could know about it, but uh, not really like knowing that now she's going through a period, but we know like in general that women go uh, through um, uh, <laughs> that cycle. But, uh, and with our culture, it's where women always made sure that they kept it secret so that we don't notice that it's happening. Do you think, as a male today, that that's a good thing, that women keep their monthly cycle secret? Um, I think not. Um, yeah. Can, sorry, can you say, I don't think that that's a good oh, okay. thing. I don't okay. think it's good they keep it secret. Okay, good. I don't think it's good that they keep menstruation. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, I don't think... It's a good thing that they keep menstruation being a secret. And yeah, so it's all about when we, we grow up and we get a bit shocked when we now discover it when being grown up people. And then we're like, oh, so because we didn't grow up in that, in that, in that environment where it was something normal. And yeah. What can we do to change that? What can men do to change the, the way that people think, to bring it out as something normal to talk about? Um, I would say maybe like in my, in my, in my context, um, I would not think that men do have much to, to do. So it's just women to understand that it's a normal, it's a normal period of life, and it's something normal which they shouldn't be ashamed of. And yeah, so if we found it abnormal, it's because all the women around us made it a secret thing. They didn't want even to talk about it, and and we never knew that it's something that's existed because they tried to make us believe that it doesn't exist. So I think it would be the, the most important thing is to think that it's normal and to normalize it. And then every man around will find it normal as well. That interview left me with a lot to think about. Was the whole taboo aspect of menstruation something that equally fell on the shoulders of women? How could we expect others who do not menstruate to understand the importance of not remaining silent on this topic? The next day, I wanted to begin at the distribution center, where amongst the dust and the wind, people crowded towards the entrance to begin the process of receiving their supplies. Zaleka is host to refugees from Congo, Burundi, Rwanda, and Somalia. So at any point in time, any number of languages could be used. John, one of the refugee staff working at the center, could speak French, Swahili, Congolese, and to our benefit, English. After showing us the different stations, he was willing to speak with us on camera. And while he didn't speak much to the topic of menstruation due to losing both his mother and his sisters, his story is one that I feel is important to amplify today. That's right. Did you experience dangers yourself? Yes. Tell us, what kind of danger were you in? What happened to you? So it was just uh, a difficult problem that uh, even if I can uh, I can say like that, 
um, I was in Congo once uh, uh, the soldiers came to our house, our, our home, and they started just to beat to my father because my father was a political man. He was a political man. And uh, one day, uh, as uh, Kabila, Kabila, our president in Congo, uh, it was at the end of his uh, uh, what, his uh, power to the to the, his leadership. Uh, it was at the end in 2016, and then as my father also was a political man, those people they wanted to kill my father. Uh, while they were doing that. My father was killed. Yes, my father was killed by those soldiers. And then they wanted to kill me and my brother and my young brother. And then uh, we decided, as we had some opportunity to, to flee or to flee my country, and then we tried. That's why I fled and how I'm here. At this point, I'd realized we'd filmed and interviewed more men than women. And while I wanted to capture as much content as possible, I was aware we needed more of the directly affected population who were menstruating to share their experiences. Nonetheless, Jamie's persistence had us interviewing one more man of his understanding of menstruation before we moved on to the women. Um, can you tell us your name? Yeah, my name is Choma Dominic Mulenda. How old are you? Now I'm 30 years old. And where do you come from? I'm coming from DRC. Do you want to say that more once? <laughs> um, so, Juma, tell me, you can pause Tell me what your job is here in Zaleka. Yeah, here in Zaleka, I do assistance, health surveillance assistance at Zaleka Health Center. Can you show me what you're holding? Yeah, here in my hands, I'm having this menstruation cup. Yeah. Can you tell me why? what you do with it and why it's a good thing for Yeah, according to me, I see this as a, a good thing, especially for girls and uh, women who are still in the uh, age of uh, having period because it will improve their, uh, improve their hygiene while they're having period. <laughs> so I'm sure that this, it will be helpful to our girls and women within the Leka refugee camp. What do they do now when they have a period? Uh, right now, I know that when they have period, many of them, they do apply for some pads which they receive from Plan Malawi and uh, others. I'm really sure that they do use some piece of cloth which they get from there themselves, yeah. And are there enough pads given out by plan? Uh, I'm sure that those pads are not enough. And what do they do with the pads when they've used them? Yeah, with those pads, they do apply them whenever they're having periods, so 
they just apply them in order they should improve their their hygiene while they're having period. Do you know how they dispose of the pad? For sure, I don't know. I don't know how do you, they expose it. Yeah, I don't know. But I, I, I do just know that they receive it and the, the work of that pad is just to use it while they're having period. Do you ever see used pads lying in the rubbish pits? Uh, for sure, you know, uh, our community is a, a great community whereby we're having multiple peoples coming from different countries and uh, different trouble in the communities from their home countries. So I mean, you know, each and every one's house got its uh, characteristics. So I'm sure that uh, sometime here's some part of uh, public health, I'm sure that uh, we do get some uh, parts which are thrown away outside. So that is not, it is not good. And uh, somehow it can affect the health of uh, people living within the Lika refugee camp. And this is why, even if it is something as humans that we may never physically experience, it is important to never neglect the experience of others. Juma's ability to not be silent on something so many of us have been silent about brought up a bigger topic the larger impact menstruation has on the health and hygiene of the entire community, not just on women. My silence on menstruation, like many women for generations, was much more than just my silence. It generated a silence in others, that therefore generated a silence in others, to a domino effect which created this taboo of menstruation, which as a woman I am no longer silent about. The men we interviewed were far from comfortable when we were asking them about menstruation, but they are, in fact, an important part of the conversation. Today, if I can't leave these four walls to do something that is enough to combat the racism that has been just as silent and just as ingrained in society as the taboo of menstruation, then I will at least be uncomfortable about it and refuse to be silent about it. We did not use most of the men's interviews in the final short film we produced. So today, I'm proud to amplify the voice of black people at a time when we need it the most. You can watch the final short film, From Rags to Cups, on the YouTube page for the organization Safe Hands by Nancy Durrell McKenna. And that's it for today. Back next week with more from my correspondent. Do join me.